Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Today on CityCast DC... D.C. gets a bad rap in a lot of ways. People say that we're not fashionable or that we're careerist snobs. But are they right? My CityCast D.C. co-host Mike Schaefer and I sat down to discuss D.C.'s stickiest stereotypes. Today's Monday, August 14th. I'm Bridget Todd and here's what D.C. is talking about. Hey, Bridget. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good, good, good. So I think today we are going to play Stereotype Police. Oh, yes. It's funny that we're doing this. I feel like whenever I'm traveling and I tell somebody I'm from D.C., usually the next thing out of their mouth is some kind of a stereotype about D.C. Like, oh, D.C., the first thing that they ask you is, what do you do for a living? What congressperson do you work for? That kind of thing. So and my thing is, you know, I I love uh, our city and, and all that. I'm a true blue but I'm actually willing to like really beat the crap out of our city too. I just think the problem with most of the negative, with a lot of the negative Washington stuff out there is that they're picking on the wrong stuff. Yeah, you are not somebody who is shy about criticizing DC at all. It's actually one of my favorite things about you. What do you think is the first thing that comes up? The first like negative Washington stereotype? Oh, definitely that people in DC are super careerist, obsessed with careers, are only interested in what you can do for them professionally. So the stereotype would be if you were talking to somebody from D.C. at a party and they're like, oh, what do you do? If the answer was not sufficient, they would not consider you to be somebody worth continuing to speak to. Right. I'm sort of half sold on that one, but not necessarily in a bad way. Let me elaborate. So I've got this friend here who's from Iowa and told me once, like, you know, I've lived all over the place and I've I've never lived someplace where so many people like their jobs, or at least if they don't like their immediate job, they like kind of their like calling in life. And uh, his explanation for that was like uh, New York, right? People want to live in New York, so they move to New York, and then they got to pay rent, so they get a job. And you know maybe they like the job, and maybe they don't, but that's not really the point. And uh, in Philly, where I used to live, like everyone's well, most of Philly is from Philly, so the same thing. They need to pay rent, they get a job, maybe they like it. And here, a lot of people who move here, which is not everyone, but a lot of the people who choose to be here are coming here. They're like they're not coming for the weather. Um, they're <laughs> they're coming for uh, you know whatever it is they've chosen to do, and therefore they are you know the odds are they're pretty into it. Yeah, and people like talking about things that they're into. That's an interesting perspective. I don't think it's necessarily a negative. Like like people, when they say that DC is careerist, it often reads like a dig or a criticism. I don't think it has to be so negative right. if you have the understanding that, yeah, people move here for their jobs and people like their jobs and they like talking about things that are positive parts of their identity. Right. And so like even that question, like, like, what do you do? 
which has such a bad rep. I have one friend who like defends that question. Says, "Listen, it's actually a way of asking like, how'd you get here? What's your deal?" Uh, that said, you know, we've all met people who, if the if the answer to that is insufficient, they start looking over your shoulder and trying to find someone more important to talk to. See, I feel like I've gotten that vibe, like like the like, oh, you're not important vibe, much more in other places I've lived. San Francisco was probably the most annoying way that I've experienced that, where people will be like, oh, what do you do? And if you didn't have some cool, flashy tech job, like if you right. were like, oh, I'm a teacher, that wasn't something that people were interested in finding out more about. I guess in any place where there's like one scene that is the focus of the place, whether it's tech or Hollywood or whatever, there is going to be some kind of like pecking order of of importance. I find that, you know, people who work, you know, exclusively on issues of the nation or the, the world or something, they're often also like fascinated with the idea of civilians. Mm. So like if they meet someone who's like, yeah, I'm a teacher or whatever, it's like, wow, I met a civilian. And they're like kind of weirdly, like it's like you're exotic. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. I got my start um, in education. So like, yeah, I was the teacher who was completely unconnected to any kind of like wider federal or political thing. And I, I completely agree with you. One question I have for you is, I've noticed people saying that they should change up the what do you do question when you meet somebody. Have you, have you ever switched it up? Do, do you ask people? Oh, I don't I don't ask it because people I mean, I, you know, I'm curious about it, but it, people assume you're a cretin if you say it. So <laughs> you kind of can't. Yeah, I I try to ask, you know, how do you fill your time or like, what are you into? Right. If you ask, what are you into to somebody when you first meet them, you get a you could get a wide variety of answers. People don't just automatically say like, oh, I'm into insert job here. Uh, so I feel like that I feel like that gives me a better read into people because a lot of people have a job, but their passion is something else, right? Maybe you have a nine to five, but what you really do is something totally different. Right. Right. Like if you asked me that question, I would answer S and M. People kidding. It, it gives you it gives you a, a, a much better view into what what people are really about. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, but I, you know, I, I guess I I think of careerist in a um, like that stereotype is also implying that people are always like calculating two steps ahead. Like, how can you be useful to get me to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? And there's plenty of people like that here. I assume there's you know sort of wherever like overeducated members of the American meritocracy gather, there is a bit of that. It does fly a little in the face of the stereotype of a bunch of like bureaucratic time servers, which is another Washington stereotype, because if you are someone who's like going to devote your career to ascending the Commerce Department bureaucracy, sucking up to randos with influence is supposed to not matter that much. Oh my God, that's such a good point that like, it kind of can't be both, right? Are we shallow careerist strivers or are we boring ass bureaucrat desk jockeys. Like <laughs> both can't be true, but yet both are the stereotypes when you think about careerist DC stereotypes. What a good point. Right. Well, I mean, it's a large region. It contains multitudes. <laughs> we are vast. Um, one of the ones you mentioned to go on to a second stereotype that I would like to hear your assessment of is people in Washington dress badly. Oh my God. Okay. So this is the one I brought to the table because I think of myself as somebody who has a I guess I'll say flashy slash distinct personal style. And I think that DC is sort of known for 
kind of J crew, kind of related to being careerist. I think that people think of DC as not a stylish city, but I actually don't agree. I think that we are perhaps not stylish when you compare it to cities like New York or Brooklyn or LA. I think that there are people there who have a much more pronounced personal style, but I think DC, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why DC has this reputation as being an unfashionable city other than that people associate it with workers and you can't really be that flashy at work. All right, hold on. I, I just got to adjust the pleats on my khakis. Hold on just a second. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you, you, that's, you make fun, but like, I actually really appreciate professional men's personal style in DC. Like, if you are a man who pulls off like a really flashy suit or like, you know, hmm. you really have to try to like, demonstrate personal style and also be professional when you're a man. So yeah, I think the rub here is, you know, there's a tendency to have your realm of comparisons be like other big globals like New York or Paris or, or LA or whatever. But I feel like actually in terms of size and geography and stuff, like, I don't know, how do we compare to like Seattle, Atlanta, right? you know, Dallas, Kansas City? I don't, I don't know. People here just are sort of normal by those standards. Yeah, I, I, that's a, a, an interesting comparison. It's funny, I don't know if anybody listening is a watcher of the Bravo Housewives universe, but the kind of mid-Atlantic Housewives franchise, Potomac, is sort of known for being the least fashionable when compared to like Housewives of New York, Housewives of Atlanta, Housewives of Orange County. Um, so that is a, a knock in the not-so-fashionable corner. But I agree, I think that Sure, when you compare D.C. to fashion capitals of the world, global fashion capitals of the world, mm -hmm. maybe we fall a little short. But if you compare it to other comparably sized cities, I would I would say we are not falling short there. No, I think we're not. I mean, I, I wouldn't say we're ahead. You know? <laughs> I wouldn't say we're ahead, we're ahead or behind. I guess that's my thing is like, it's not any less fashionable than any other city that's not New York or Paris. That's where I'm at, too. So depending on what you think regular cities look like, that either means, yes, we are terrible dressers or no. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. The other one you mentioned that I thought was really interesting was this knock on Washington of, I don't know how you put it, like it, we're all normies, so there's no creatives here. There's no weirdos. Yeah. I mean, I, I have been a like a creative type for most of my professional career. And so like I up and moved to Brooklyn 
a few years ago thinking that it would be a much more, like a city that was much more accommodating of creatives, right? And not even just creatives, but like weirdos, for lack of a better word. Like weirdos have always been my people. You know, I think that, I think there's a, a misconception about DC that those people are not in DC in mass. And when I moved to Brooklyn, I actually found that Every city has their normies. I don't think that D.C. has any more normies right. than any other city. But that when I moved back to D.C., I really, really appreciated D.C.'s creative culture, all the different people in D.C. who are involved in the arts, which is I think doesn't get enough shine. And just that D.C., like, there are plenty of, like, weirdos, offbeat types here doing their thing. Um, I think there's a misconception that D.C. is not a freaky city, and mm-hmm. I mean that. I don't mean that as a pejorative. I mean, like, those are my people, yeah. the freaks and weirdos. And we're we're here in D.C. You know, when I was, like, in the 90s, right, I got out of college, and it was kind of possible then, given, like, the rents and stuff, for you to live a life of, like, being semi-employed. You know, you didn't get to live a fat life or anything, but you could pay rent. And so there was a class of people, including people I was friends with, who were, like, musicians and so on, and they didn't really care much about their careers, the careers in the sense of like the thing they did from nine to five to make money, but were able to like have space for like their true calling, their true outlet. I think in Washington, but also in like New York and also in like other like sort of successful American metropolises, it's just much, 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 much harder to afford that deal, to afford a deal where like the thing you do for money is not the thing that is like the the true outlet of your creativity that you're also able to spend a lot of time on. Absolutely. And I think that's one of my big issues with urban living sometimes. It's like, those are the people that make cities fun to show up to. That's like why people want to live in cities is because of the labor and talent and creativity of people who can be only semi-employed or like underemployed and spend their time creating things that people want to show up for. And so I think that cities should be intentionally accommodating of, of that reality. I think that like that's why people like cities. And I guess I would consider myself part of like DC's like DIY scene. I think that's one of the reasons why like those scenes have moved, I don't know how to put it, can sometimes be a little bit unsafe because there it's hard to find actual like above board spaces to have a party, to like have an event, to have a pop-up, to have an art show, to have a, you know, your band to play. Like you have to do it in somebody's janky garage, which might not be up to code it's not because of that. Of, and so I think I like, want these things in my city, but cities thrive on these things and it should behoove us all to make sure that folks have space to do them that are safe and that are not going to be like janky as hell or dangerous. Right. You know, we lived in Philadelphia for a few years and moved back to DC in like 2010 and I would say that the, the circle of people I ran with in Philly included like working artists and stuff in a way that it like no longer does in DC. There's all kinds of other things in my life have changed. I have kids, I whatever. Now it's a different. Um, I will say Washington attracts a lot of overeducated people. Um, and where that happens, you also wind up attracting sort of creatives. So it, it's not true that there are are none here. It's it's weird. It's harder to pull that off now than it was back when Washington got the stereotype of a uh, uncreative place. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I I remember watching, this is going to really date me, but do you remember that show on HBO, Real Sex? I remember watching an episode of Real Sex from, it must have been from like 1996. And they were showcasing like a kink sex party at Chief Ike's. And I was like, oh my God, Ew. like, I know. Part of me was like, well, who wants to go to a sex party at Chief Ike's? But RIP. But um, <laughs> yeah, so it's like, 
DC has had that that sort of offbeat weirdo spirit yes. for a long time. And I, I do think it's something that is unique to our city that doesn't always get the shine that it deserves. It's a shame that the rising rents and the, the rising cost of living would threaten and push out something that I think is uniquely DC and has been for a while. All the good kink parties have been priced out. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all in Northern Virginia now. You gotta you gotta get, you know get on the Beltway to get there. It's a, it's it's such a pain. <laughs> they're wild out there. Well, that seems like a solid note to end on. I'll see you at the next one. Uh, the next kink party. I'll be the one in the lanyard. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Hey, it's Priyanka. I'm a producer on the show, and I am so proud to present this short interview with our sponsor today, the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. You probably know them from the annual Ramy Awards, but they also run our restaurant weeks. And this summer, one is happening from August 28th to September 3rd. Sean Townsend, you're the president and CEO of the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. We are so excited to have you here. And I am so excited for Summer Restaurant Week as well. Can you tell me a little bit about like what is special about this year's promotions? First, thank you for having me. This partnership would not be possible without our partners at Events DC, Open Table, Pepco, NBC Washington. We're excited about these partnerships because it allows us an opportunity to promote new restaurants. We have some some new participants this year, Duke's Grocery and Navy Yard. We have a new Mivita downtown that's participating. So these partners allow us to go out and recruit and help restaurants curate their menus for the first time. Some members are used to restaurant week being a little earlier in the month of August, but we wanted to give it a try this year and partner with the DC Jazz Festival. You know, you might go in somewhere and you might see a curated menu that is created around jazz. And so restaurants have the, the flexibility to do that. And I mean, this is a great opportunity for restaurants who are partners of the jazz festival, but not necessarily members of the association to cross collaborate also this year for the first time, which is just as exciting. We are partnering with Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority to do restaurant week as well. So when you are leaving DC or arriving to DC and or Dulles, our restaurants in the airports will be a part of restaurant week. So that's Chef Jeff's, District Chop House, El Centro, Carabas, Legal Seafoods. These are all restaurants that will be participating in Restaurant Week. And they're at the airport. It's crazy. I, I never <laughs> would have thought, but it's. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to seeing you know, how it turns out. Oh, for sure. Nothing like a prefix menu to welcome you back home. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and that is exactly what it is, right? It's all prefix menus at these restaurants if they're participating with Summer Restaurant Week? Yep. Whether it's brunch or lunch for $25 a person or dinner for $40 or $55 per person. So, And this is on-premise dining. I love to see folks go to a new restaurant for the first time during Restaurant Week. And then, and then they end up going back multiple times because it's something new. You know, D.C. has a very diverse culinary experience in the region. And uh, it is a great time for people to explore. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I love Restaurant Week. And it's because I tend to always explore and try new places 
through this festival. But I also have to say, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Like there's so many menus to check out, so many options to look through. How do you recommend people pick the best deals for them? Get on the website, rwdmv.com and just start filtering through. You can search by neighborhood. You can search by zip code. You can search by cuisine. Take a look at the menus that are posted. Is there any restaurant menu that you're especially excited about? (laughs) I'm excited about all of them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited about all of them. But I mean, I'm trying to figure out what's going to be my plan for the airport dining experience. I think I'm going to try to figure out a, a flight to leave on that weekend before restaurant week is over so that I can say I dined at the airport for restaurant week. Yeah, that's true. That is Labor Day weekend. <laughs> so it's a good time for a flight. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for being here, Sean. Thank you for having me. Once again, if you want to learn more or check out some of the menus to try this summer restaurant week, go to rwdmv.com. Once again, that's rwdmv.com. See you there. Okay, Bridget here again with some quick news before I let you go. Inflation is growing slower in the DMV than the rest of the country. Right now, we've got the second lowest rate in the United States. In July, the national annual rate of consumer price inflation was 3.2%, while DC's was almost half that at 1.8%. Metro train operators working split shifts are going to have to start undergoing sobriety checks from now on. Metro updated its drug and alcohol policy after an operator fell asleep at the engine last year, stranding passengers for 40 minutes. And if you've got a sketchy-looking email from Grubhub with a $5 to $10 check enclosed, don't worry, it's real. Grubhub just sent out $2.7 million to D.C. consumers as part of a recent lawsuit settlement. Last March, Attorney General Carl A. Racine sued the company for charging consumers hidden fees and using deceptive marketing. Now we're getting that money back via a third-party distributor. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. And if you enjoyed the show, why not share it with your snobby, careerist friend with a terrible fashion sense? We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. We're joking about kink kink parties. parties. (laughs) I'll see you at the next orgy. (laughs) 